Establishment operatives, uh, they're going to deny the existence of the establishment, probably for one of two reasons, in my opinion. It's kind of like Rumpelstiltskin, you know, he didn't want you to say his name because that was his weakness. Um, if you identify an, an, uh, an adversary, that adversary loses power because then you can, for lack of a better term, target that adversary more, uh, more effectively. And the other reason is not so much that they don't believe it. They might, they might actually believe there's no such thing as the establishment. But when you're so entrenched in establishment politics, it's pretty easy to be unable to identify it because you can't distinguish it from anything else. Fear not, dear listener. The path to enlightenment is before you. Leave the darkness behind. Open your eyes. Grab your spears and brush your teeth. For you will be led to the battlefield, armed with sharp minds and fresh breath. Stand by. Welcome to the show dedicated to truth and liberty in the greater Cincinnati area. One small part of a larger movement for freedom pressured into silence by a culture that seeks nothing less than total obedience. Your hosts, Scott and Max, are here to help you to find the courage and resources to become uncancelable. This is Cancelled Out. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Before we get into the content, I would like to ask you to please check out our website, canceledout.com. That's canceled out with one L. In particular, go and check out our merch store. We have launched a store with some t-shirts and some mugs, some of them pretty funny, uh, things that uh, I think you'd be proud to wear out in public, to be honest with you. And uh, I might say I designed them myself. So please do check that out and uh, support the show by you know buying some merch, buying a coffee mug, t-shirt, something like that. Show, show your love. Uh, and at the very least, be sure that you are sharing this content out. That is the reason why we are growing is because you're sharing it out. And I really, truly appreciate it. I hope you continue to do so. Uh, without further ado, let's get into this episode. Sup, dudes? Max here. Welcome back to Cancelled Out. Recently, the claim was made by uh, one of my guests that the idea that there's any such thing as the establishment is ridiculous. Which, of course, to me, and I'm sure to basically all of my uh, listeners, is a hell of a claim. But it also got me thinking, it's probably worth coming to some kind of an understanding of what the establishment actually is. Because I think we all inherently know it, right, when you see it. But that's not enough of a definition, really. You know, we know it when we see it, right? We need more than that. So I took a little bit of time uh, myself trying to define what the establishment is in terms of politics, of course. What is the establishment? And I've also reached out to a couple of people who are uh, more familiar with how establishment politics works to get their feedback. And I've tried to put together what I think is hopefully the most useful explanation of what the establishment is 
um, what are its defining characteristics, why it exists, right? Um, and then, you know, come to some conclusions about what that means in terms of engaging in politics, right? As Especially as a principled libertarian, conservative, you know, those are, those are principles that tend to go by the wayside, it seems, in establishment politics, which is why I, th I think it's important to understand what establishment is. It's also important really to be able to identify your adversary. You know, it, you can't challenge it if you don't identify it. You know, the, 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 the risk is you end up um, challenging the wrong things, right? Because there, there does tend to be some crossover, and I'll get into it here in a minute, but there does tend to be some crossover between somebody who is a principled politician but uh, perhaps engages in some of the same or similar tactics as establishment politicians engage in. And if we're not clear on who we're talking about and what we're talking about, we end up targeting perhaps the wrong things. So I also want to be clear on what the establishment is not. So I'll be getting into that here in a minute. But first, let's talk about some of the defining characteristics of the establishment. First off, pretty obvious, but career politicians are a defining trait of the establishment. Now, this gets right into what I was just talking about. There are Definitely career politicians who you wouldn't necessarily claim are a part of the establishment, at least to any significant extent. Um, but what I mean by a career politician is, first off, career politicians are very much concerned about job security within the government. Or job security at all, just like anybody. I mean, we're all concerned about job security. We want to make sure that we have, you know, a future, our nest egg. You know, people are looking to make sure that they maintain a pension and an income. So it's it's natural for a person to 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 want to make sure they have that job security. Now, with career politicians, or really, I mean, bureaucrats. Um, they don't tend to have any appreciable income outside of the state itself. If it wasn't for the state, they'd have no income. Even, and I'm not even just talking about the paycheck that comes from Uncle Sam in particular, um, you know, the, the books that they write, right? I mean, remember when Bernie Sanders uh, claimed that, you know, uh, w when people criticize him for capitalizing, right, as a socialist, capitalizing and writing a book and making all that money, you know, uh, it was, it, he was like, well, I mean, you write a book then. Well, you wouldn't have been able to sell as many copies if it wasn't for your political career. So even, uh, again, the, 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 the fact that you were able to sell so many copies of your book is entirely dependent on your status as an operative of the state. So... That's one of the first defining characteristics. Another one is um, establishment politicians and operators, they tend to prioritize votes over principles. And what they'll calculate 
is how many votes they can get to get their guys in office, right? Um, crossover votes are an important factor in this. If you are a Republican and you stand on certain principles that the Republican Party is supposed to stand for, but you want to get crossover votes to make sure your guy gets into office, you're going to look to potentially appeal to some of the more moderate Democrats and certain independents, right? Um, people can count. And this certainly gives the, the establishment an advantage. You know, the establishment has the advantage because in large part of the crossover votes that they're able to get. Mike DeWine being an establishment politician, and I will use him as the main example here in this in this episode. Uh, he has crossover appeal for sure with Democrats. Democrats love the job he did uh, uh, in the pandemic. They love it. They love the shutdown. They love the lockdowns. Um, they are not fans of freedom and liberty because freedom and liberty get in the way of what they see as the need to... Um, protect against this virus that's their that's their rationale and their justifications right so mike dewine certainly has crossover appeal appeal and it's one of the reasons why he um has the advantage because a more conservative or libertarian or small government republican is not going to have the same crossover appeal and i'm going to get into my thoughts on what that actually means for how you engage in politics on a principled level here in a little bit, but it's just bear with me on this for a minute. The other thing that these establishment types do as it relates to these votes over principles is they tend to hold their base hostage to those principles. And what I mean by that is they'll call themselves a conservative, even though they're not really. And They'll claim that they are effectively the lesser of two evils, or their operatives will claim, hey, we're talking about the lesser of two evils here. Do you want a Republican or do you want a Democrat? Because a Democrat's just going to be that much worse than this moderate Republican. So the problem with that is the establishment, of course, is going to prioritize the more moderate and I say moderate as a loose term because I think moderate is kind of the wrong term to describe somebody who shuts down an entire economy. I mean, that's not, that's not moderate, right? But, but you know what I'm saying. The one who has crossover appeal, they're going to advance those particular people in politics as much as they can more than they're going to advance the more principled conservatives and libertarians. Now, quick side note here. I'm referring to Republican, uh, the Republican Party as my example or my case study, I guess. But this, of course, applies to the Democrats as well. So if you're going to advance the more left-wing Republicans, because that's going to get you the, the crossover vote, all you're doing is shifting the Overton window to the left, and eventually you'll have abandoned your principles entirely. And then what's the point? You know? Another characteristic of the establishment is trading favors. Now, this is another one of those aspects that might be a little bit more murky or ambiguous or, you know, well, let's get into what it means. I mean, if, 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 if I'm asking you for support as an establishment politician, I'm, you know, I'm asking you for an endorsement. I'm asking you for money. I'm asking you for any number of different things. I might find you 
some kind of a political appointment should I win office, right? Especially as a governor, you can you make all kinds of appointments. You can create all kinds of jobs within your staff, even though you don't have to. You know what I mean? That's that's what a lot of these politicians do is they'll create some kind of a need for these jobs that probably don't even need to exist. And again, this just reinforces the establishment, right? Because you if 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 you are dependent now on this job, who else are you going to support but the establishment candidate, right? The other thing that they'll do is they'll promise, quote-unquote, safe seats to challengers. And what that means is, hey, look, you know, this particular county or district or um, area is going to safely vote Republican pretty reliably uh, damn near 100% of the time. So if you will back out of this race— or support me in some other way, then I will promise to back you in a safe seat, which usually means they end up having to move to that area, right? Because you can't represent an area that you don't live in. So they'll end up having to move to that area or buy a house in that area, which ultimately means that you're not really getting representatives of that area in these so-called safe seats which just, again, reinforces the establishment and uh, stretches its fingers out further into uh, our, our political system. One of the last, and, and this, is, this is not an uh, exhaustive list. This is just, I, I came up with a handful of uh, examples of characteristics. There's certainly more. But one of the last ones is qualifications. The establishment tends to believe, or they seem to believe, that their vast experience in government makes them uniquely qualified to wield power over others. So, for example, Mike DeWine has been in politics for decades, and some capacity or another, right? He wasn't always an elected official, but he certainly uh, has worked, uh, I believe, as a Senate staffer in the 80s, working on budget deals for uh, the legislature and things like that. So, you know, this is... This is uh, uh, what contributes to probably his belief that he is most qualified or more qualified than any outsider who hasn't spent that kind of time to wield that power because they know how the system works, they know how to make deals, they know how to they know all that stuff. Now in my opinion that that makes you least qualified to actually wield power because you know, you, you ultimately become entrenched in this system and reinforce it, and that system is oftentimes unjust. So uh, that's that's where I stand on it. But uh, and which is why I think uh, Donald Trump was such an effective president because he was not on the inside. And I think the same can be said for other outsider candidates. What that also means is they're going to put up barriers to entry for those who are more committed to principle. And the reason why is because your principle should trump any um, political aspirations of any candidate, you know. And if it does, then your principles become a threat to those establishment candidates. So they're going to put up barriers to entry. If they see that you are going to come in and challenge their authority and challenge their power, they're going to put up opposition. Now, that's just competition. That's the way that goes, but that's what they will do. And the point is, is that, again, they're prioritizing their power and their influence over the principle itself. It should seem 
pretty messed up, really, that any Republican who claims to stand on conservative small government values, it, sh- it, sh- it should be disturbing that anybody who prioritizes those principles and values should be considered a threat to anybody in the Republican Party. I mean, for obvious reasons, right? The, the Republican Party is supposed to stand up for these principles. So if, it, if those principles are a threat to people within the Republican Party, are they really doing, are they really doing uh, the work that they should be doing, right? So those are some of the characteristics. What the establishment is not is, now, mind you, this is all just kind of more my opinion. Even these, you know, all of this is really my opinion based off of experience, based off of talking to people who also have experience. Um, and some people are probably going to disagree with me on a handful of these uh, characteristics or or also what, what the Republican Party is not. But what... What the Republican Party is not, in my opinion, is some kind of secret society like the Illuminati or anything like that, right? It's certainly a club. I think you can say that it's a club, but it's a club without really a name. Like, we call it the establishment, but that's, that's you know, of course, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, people within the establishment are, are going to say that the establishment doesn't even exist. Uh, and one of the ways that they probably back that up is the fact that it doesn't even have a name. You know, so it's again, Illuminati has a name if it even exists. I don't know anything about Illuminati. I'm just pointing out that it's not. This is not some kind of a secret society that that um, has some kind of passcode to get through the door in order to sit down in some club and twirl your mustaches while smoking cigars and uh, plotting against the American people. That's that's not what I argue the establishment is. Right? People just and I've said this many many times. People just operate based off of incentives. That's all it is. So the more you contribute to a system that reinforces somebody's job security and pension and all that kind of stuff, the more that people have an incentive to maintain that system. That's, that's, that's all the establishment really is. And the other thing I, I've, I've heard people say, and I don't necessarily believe, but I'm, I think it's, it's worth pointing out, is that it's some kind of no girls allowed club or no minorities allowed club. And I don't agree with this. I don't agree with this. Uh, maybe it used to be like that. Um, but from what I've seen, uh, Jane Timken, who is running for Senate in Ohio as a Republican, uh, she comes across to me as very much establishment based off of what I understand how she ran the Ohio Republican Party when she was chairperson, chairwoman, chairman, whatever. Uh, and I think she's certainly benefiting from it. Uh, there's talk that she's going to get the nod from the ORP. Uh, and uh, her, 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 her uterus has, is not keeping her from being able to do that, right? So I, I don't know that there's such thing as a no girls allowed unspoken rule, at least anymore, like I said. I think, I mean, when you look at the Democrat side, I mean, uh, the quintessential establishment politician is Hillary Clinton, you know, and again, uh, that, that, that didn't keep her from, from being able to run for president in 2016. So again, maybe it used to be, but I don't see it that way now. I really don't. But 
why does the establishment even exist in the first place? Well, I, t- I already touched on it a little bit before. It's job security, really. It's, uh, to me, it's what it comes down to. Humans, we're all motivated to build a certain level of security around us. You know, that's why we work and save money and put away for retirement or get jobs that have some kind of a pension or, you know, we want to make sure that we can predict our status tomorrow and a year from now and 10 years from now. We want to be able to, to confidently predict how things are going to go for us. So it's something we do in the private sector all the time. It's not, this isn't something nefarious, it's human nature. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we prosper, because um, we do have a, uh, uh, we do know how to save for the future. We do know how to wait for our rewards. We'll put it that way. The deferral of gratification. So this is, this is something that we already do, and we don't have any problem with it. But where it comes into conflict is when you have a state. So let's take it back to, you know, of course, the founding here. The American government wasn't originally designed with the intent to provide any kind of job security to politicians and bureaucrats. That wasn't the point. Um, The intent was for private citizens to temporarily volunteer their time to sit in office as an act of service. That was the point. That was how it was intended to work. And of course, it hasn't played out that way because, you know, now you've got government jobs and jobs mean uh, potential security for somebody. And they're going to work to fight to protect their job and their pensions. And the thing about the state is as the state grows, so does the establishment. You know, so the more power that the state has, the more jobs, quote-unquote jobs, that the state creates for people, the more incentives there are to maintain that status quo, to maintain the state as it is, and even grow it so that you can create another job for somebody else. And again, these are not necessarily jobs that need to exist. As long as there is a state, which there's always going to be a state, there's going to be an establishment. The challenge is, how do you put this power in check? Another reason why the establishment exists is the same reason why uh, I mean, a politician exists in the first place, really, in my opinion, is that power is addictive. Um, I've seen studies, and I won't quote them necessarily, but, uh, you know, just you can Google this and and, and or take my word for it. But um, power is considered to be one of the more addictive substances, even compared to nicotine or crack. And like I said, I've seen studies on this. Uh, you're, you're welcome to Google it. I'm not going to cite it. But, um, but we do know that people feel a sense of validation for things that aren't necessarily chemical. So, I mean, take, for example, uh, likes on Facebook, right? People will do anything. Look at, I mean, this is a ridiculous example, but look at the Island Boys, right? (laughs) I mean, people are willing to sacrifice their dignity for likes on Facebook or likes on social media, you know? And, and, and what is a like? I mean, what does it do? Well, all it does is help, help to release dopamine in your system, right? The validation releases dopamine in your system in the same way that power 
releases dopamine in your system. And take, you know, Mike DeWine as an example, the sophisticated island boy. <laughs> but take him as an uh, He, if you think that he doesn't get some kind of dopamine rush from exerting his power, any of us would. Any of us would. That doesn't make it right, right? It doesn't mean any of us would exert that power, but if we did exert that power, any of us would get that sense of dopamine uh, rush in our system. When our power goes unchecked, we would all feel it. It's human nature. Now, I want to touch on different aspects of the establishment as it relates to some of the other terms we've used. Um, you know, we, we talk, we've already talked about the establishment. We've talked about this. Uh, we've, we've, we, we talk about things like the swamp and we talk about things like the deep state. And I, just briefly, I think it's worth talking about what the differences are between these. In my opinion, these, these are all kind of more, uh, relative speculation than any official definition. However, I have come up with uh, what I think, based off of the arguments I've presented so far, what I believe a an appropriate definition of the establishment is. So I'm going to start with that, and then we'll talk about how that compares to the swamp and the deep state. But the establishment is a network of politicians, political operatives, and bureaucrats who dominate the levers of power by trading favors and showing preference to those who reinforce their hold on the institutions of government, typically at the expense of their stated principles, and whose income is largely dependent on the state. So I came up with this definition based off of the characteristics that I've already laid out, uh, understanding what the establishment is not versus what it is. So then when we talk about things like the swamp, to me, again, this this is more just my opinion, but I see the swamp as the establishment plus corruption. So establishment politics is not, not inherently corrupt, right? It's not necessarily corrupt to um, promise a safe seat in a district to somebody who shows you loyalty. Unethical, perhaps. Uh, Anti-principled, perhaps. But it's not illegal. So it's not inherently corrupt. Once you start incorporating corruption into establishment politics, and they definitely go hand in hand at times, then you get the swamp. So the swamp is establishment plus illegal activity, such as things like bribery and election fraud and things like that. When you get into the deep state, there's another aspect of it that is more than just corruption, more than just illegal activity. It's establishment plus unconstitutional legislative and executive authority. Now, of course, that would include illegal activity, but they're engaging in activities which carry the force and authority of the government, but outside of the limitations of the Constitution. And these can be things like acts of war, perhaps assassinations, censorship, uh, usually in coordination with corporations and things like that. So, um, And all of this is usually done in secret because we would not approve of these activities. So this is just what I see 
as an extension of what the deep state is or what the what uh, the establishment is by extension you have uh, establishment plus corruption is the swamp and then establishment plus unconstitutional legislative and executive authority which is the deep state now moving on from that let's just focus back on the establishment itself for a minute again there will always be a state and therefore there will always be an establishment because the state creates an incentive the state has authority. It has the authority to do all the things that it's doing right now. It shouldn't have that authority, but it does. So people are always going to want to get a hold of that authority so that they can, again, create jobs for themselves, create job security for themselves, get their government pensions. So again, as I mentioned before, the best we can do is our best to put a check on the power of the establishment. I just don't, we're never going to eliminate it. So what I think we can conclude from all this is, first off, um, getting back to the claim that was made at the beginning, establishment operatives, uh, they're going to deny the existence of the establishment, probably for one of two reasons, in my opinion. It's kind of like Rumpelstiltskin, you know, he didn't want you to say his name because that was his weakness. Um, if you identify an, an, uh, an adversary, that adversary loses power. Because then you can, you know, for lack of a better term, target that adversary more, uh, more effectively. Target their position, target their power. And the other reason uh, an operative might say this is not so much that they don't believe it. They might, they might actually believe there's no such thing as the establishment. But when you're so entrenched in establishment politics, it's pretty easy to be unable to identify it because you can't distinguish it from anything else. You know, I mean, like a fish in a fish tank can't really tell that there isn't water outside of the fish tank. So it just thinks it's swimming in this one big thing and there's a barrier between it and the rest of this ocean that isn't there, right? You're, you're going to struggle to see it if you're so entrenched in it. Also, the, uh, the establishment will tend to justify its activities by arguing that it is the lesser of two evils, and I've touched on this earlier. If it's about counting votes, then what is the opportunity, in my opinion, what is the opportunity cost of selling a party based on certain principles and then just violating those principles? As the Republican Party, who is the target market? The target market according to the principles that it's supposed to stand for, are conservatives, perhaps uh, civil libertarians, people who are small government, pro-Second Amendment, pro-First Amendment, pro-life. These, the, these, these are the principles that it's selling itself as. So your target market is not Democrats. Because if you decide that your target market is Democrats, then you cannot sell those principles. You have to sell something else. Because they don't want those principles. Democrats don't want the Second Amendment, at least as it exists right now. The left is very anti-First Amendment. And they're very pro-abortion. So you, you have nothing to sell these people. 
if you're standing on your principles as a Republican. So if you're worried about counting votes and crossover votes, then you're going to be, I would imagine, alienating a lot of people. I mean, I've been alienated by the Republican Party in the past. I've chosen to get involved now so that I can try to make a difference and, and try to bring it back to its purpose, bring it back to its principles, right? So the problem with focusing on these crossover votes is you alienate the people who are supposed to be your target market. And then they go, you know what? Screw it. Screw the party. Screw both parties. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not even, I'm not showing any loyalty to you because you're not showing loyalty to the principal. I don't, I don't believe we have to sacrifice principles in order to win at politics. Uh, in fact, I, I think we lose more sacrificing those principles, even if it means we uh, win more political positions for the Republican Party. And part of the reason why, I think I said it before, is that it sh we're shifting the Overton uh, window to the left, but it's also a slow burn. Whereas a sudden, you know, sharp pain, a sh you know, a, a, you know, suddenly got hot real quick, is going to notice. We're going to notice that. And it might wake us up and get us back to protecting our own freedoms. So those are just my thoughts um, again, based on some feedback that I've gotten from others, uh, and thank you to those who, uh, who helped me with putting this together. But again, I think it's important that we understand what the establishment is. You're never going to be able to have an advantage over an adversary that you cannot name and you cannot identify. So thanks again for listening, y'all, and I'll talk to you on the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and every other major podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and enable notifications to stay up to date with all of our new episodes and content. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to be a part of the show, reach out to us at canceledoutpodcast at gmail.com or in our locals community. Canceled Out is produced, directed, edited, and mixed by Scott and Max. All sourcing information can be found in our show notes at chronicles.org or in the link in the episode post in our locals community site at canceledout.com. Canceled Out is a Canceled Out Media LLC production, copyright 2021.